you're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here with you. I am joined this afternoon by a guest that some of you listening may find peculiar. Michael Muhammad Ahmad is the founding director of the Sweatshop Literary Movement and an acclaimed author for novels such as The Tribe, The Lebs, and most recently, The Other Half of You. Michael, it's so good to have you here on Death of the Reader. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And let me also say assalamu alaikum, which means peace be upon you in the language of my ancestors. I suppose the thing that I wanted to get into first is why I've gotten you on the show. Because as I said, it's a little bit curious having an autobiographical fiction writer on a show about murder mystery. You're speaking at the Bad Sydney Crime Writers Festival coming up uh, later this week as we talk now. And I really wanted to dive into that kind of idea of the Western Sydney mythology that your panel this weekend is about and how it kind of relates to the mythologizing of detective fiction. We have these vast canons of Sherlock and Watson, Hercule Poirot, this like almost godlike characters in the detective fiction canon. Talk to me a little bit about like mythologizing Western Sydney in fiction. It's a fantastic uh, question, actually. And I think I might have an interesting answer. But before I do, I need to tell you, because you you address me as Muhammad, you introduced me as Michael Muhammad Ahmed. So talking about mythology and fiction, um, I actually have two names and have a split identity. Uh, I have the first name Michael, but also the first name Muhammad. So some people think my um, my middle name is Muhammad, but they're actually my two first names. And I like to ask my friends, and we're friends now, Flex, I like to ask my friends uh, to address me as Muhammad going forward with this conversation. But I think that's important, an important segue into talking about Western Sydney, because when we're talking about Western Sydney, we're talking about uh, the largest community, the largest population of people of any region in Australia. There's over 2 million people living in Western Sydney. You're also talking about the place that is the most culturally and linguistically diverse, which is why you have so many interesting uh, and complex issues relating to people's names. And you also have the largest population of people from First Nations backgrounds. So Western Sydney is a microcosm of what we mean when we say Australia. And it's also a melting pot. It's a, a space where on any random street at any moment in time, including the street that I'm talking to you from right now, a hundred different languages could be spoken. So that gives you a kind of sense of the milieu of the region. Now let's insert this conversation around crime fiction. I I would like to answer that specifically in relation to my cultural identity as an Arab Australian Muslim man. Uh, I grew up uh, as a teenager in the Western suburbs during the post 9-11 era. And in the lead up to the September 11 attacks, there was a lot of media about young Arab and Muslim men who were seen by the broader public, especially the white Australian public, as potential terrorist suspects, as potential drug dealers and drive-by shooters, uh, gangsters, and also in the context of the SCAF gang rapes in the year 2000, uh, we were seen as potential sexual predators. And so we were referred to by the cultural theorists as a folk devil. There was this uh, aura around Arab and Muslim men that was uh, regularly demonizing us as this kind of predator, but the specific type of predator was never pinned down. It was kind of like you're one thing and then you're the next thing and then you're the next thing and then you're back to the other thing. Um, Now that that identity obviously would fuel a lot of conversations around crime, specifically for the purposes of literature. When we come through, and I really wanted to talk about uh, the other half of you in this moment, because Bunny Adam, uh, which is a a name that kind of stands in for yourself, but also means humanity, as I understand it, 
I really enjoyed comparing our current text, Marjorie Allingham's Trader's Purse, and his amnesiac detective, Albert Campion, relearning to love his fiance and comparing that to the way that Banny Adam is like exploring the way that he loves his son and how that came to be over the three novels that you've kind of presented him through. Before I get into the broader kind of context of that, I guess I wanted to ask, is Banny Adam as a character, someone who feels contiguous to you across the three novels or are there kind of three different selves between those books? That's a great question. And uh, thank you for doing all that kind of research to uh, develop such an informed question about my work. So I have to uh, frame some of what you said for an audience who wouldn't be as familiar with my writing as you. But uh, yeah, so the other half of you is my latest novel. It came out last year um, and it is probably the biggest talking point of everything I'm doing right now. Uh, and it's um, not a, none of the books I write are dependent on reading the previous book. I, I write each book as a standalone book, but it just so happens that they're all all three of my novels, The Tribe, The Lebs, and The Other Half of You, based on my autobiographical experiences as an Arab Muslim man growing up in Western Sydney. And they're written in a chronological order. Uh, the Tribe is when I was a, a boy. The Lebs is when I was a teenager. And The Other Half of You was my transition into a man. And so you could read them in a chronological order. I don't write them thinking that though. Like I never wrote it saying, I'm going to write a trilogy that charts the experience of an entire man's life. You know, my goal um, in the moment is to express a truth um, and a reality that is important to me. And I guess I, when I started writing, I, I, I said, let's start at the beginning. So I started with my life, the beginning of my life. And then when that book was finished, I just went on to, well, what, what's the next thing to talk about? What's the next thing you want to um, get off your chest. What's the next demon you want to exercise? And I had all this trauma about the stuff that happened in high school, specifically because I, I went to Punchbowl Boys, which was known as the most notorious and dangerous school in uh, New South Wales when I was going there. And, you know, this is a time when it was surrounded by barbed wires and cameras um, in, in the post 9-11 era. And then, of course, after the, the lebs, the natural progression was my partner and I brought this beautiful little boy into this world and I wanted to write a letter to him about how he came to be. Uh, so that's how that's how these books come out of me. That's the first point I'll make. Uh, the second point I'll make is you, you you touched on this idea of a Bani Adam that might that these are autobiographical works, but the character's name is not Michael Muhammad. It's mm. Bani Adam. And thank you for doing the research and finding out that that's not an, a name. Actually, we don't in Arabic. That's not a name we give our children. That's actually a concept or a term. Mm. And it means humankind, or, or if anybody's listening really closely, they might've already worked out that even more specifically, it means child of Adam. And that's the way Arabs refer to humankind, um, you know, in that kind of uh, ancient biblical tradition. And the reason why I named my autobiographical alter ego, Bani Adam, Bani Adam, is because as you noticed earlier, I was talking to you about Arab and Muslim men being demonized in Australia as a type of folk devil. Uh, and, and the problem with that, that construction is that it's very one-dimensional. You only see that side of our community, the criminal element, the terrorist element, the sexually predatory element. And, and that's an incredibly dehumanizing portrait of who we are. And so I, I named my character Benny Adam because I wanted to write a, a story that humanizes the experience of being an Arab and Muslim man. Yeah, I guess the thing that I wanted to go into from there is that 
with this character, this, you know, almost characterization of yourself, almost other person who has lived the same life as you, a lot of that experience writing the other half of you, I think, would have been incredible for reflection on why you love the things you do about the things that you've learned through through the struggles of love, the things that you learned bringing your son into the world. And I thought, as I said, comparing that to Marjorie Allingham's Albert Campion learning to re-love his fiance, for you as a reader through both of these books, you're kind of taken back to ground zero. You build that relationship up. Why was it important to kind of go right back to the start? And what things did you draw out of writing this book that have kind of reframed the way you appreciate the relationship with the other people you love in your life? Thank you for that question. Um, so we'll stay on the conversation about the other half of you because um, uh, not only because it's the most current book, but it's the one that means the most to me uh, purely because I wrote it as a letter to my son. So, you know, um, Flex, the last couple of years, have been incredibly divisive for uh, Australians and more broadly, the, the world. Uh, let's go to 2019. Let's start, I'll start the point I want to make by, by looking at 2019. Uh, after the history of Islamophobia and anti-Arabness that I was talking to you about earlier in this country, I, I really believe it culminated. It ultimately resulted in uh, one of the most tragic uh, incidents in Australian history, one of, uh, which was the Christchurch massacre, an Australian-born white supremacist. Uh, you know, whose brain had been infiltrated by all of this anti-Arab and anti-Muslim rhetoric his entire life, entered two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, and slaughtered 51 Muslims peacefully conducting their Friday prayers. A year later, we saw the, the rise of COVID-19. And um, as a byproduct of COVID-19, we saw a tremendous spike in anti-Asian violence in, in Australia and around the world. And then very shortly after that, with the murder of George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement erupted. And as a byproduct of the Black Lives Matter movement, there was more pressure on Australia to address the mistreatment of First Nations people, and in particular, the deaths in custody, over 500 deaths in custody since 1993. So this has been a very difficult and challenging period for Australians in relation to race. And so while this was happening, while these significant incidents were happening, I was in my home in Western Sydney writing my novel, my, my letter to my son. And what might, might, might be interesting for the audience to know is that my son is mixed race. His mother is Anglo-Australian, comes from a very atheistic, secular, middle-class family. And, you know, I come from a working-class, Lebanese, uh, Syrian, Muslim, Shiite, Alawite family. And so, you know, the story of how we came together and how we brought this little boy into the world, I really felt was the story that needed to be told right now. During this time when we are so divided, I wanted to tell a story about how we come together as, as a people and as a nation. Yeah, I think there's something really interesting there, Muhammad, about the idea that the big context struggles kind of change the way that you saw that relationship with your son as being like culturally important. And the thing I wanted to extract from that is this idea that you spoke about with my colleague Andrew Popel over on Final Draft of The Everyman when the other half of you first came out. And you were talking about how the specificity of Bunny Adam as a character and how he relates to your cultural background was almost better as a lens on society than the generic everyman who inadvertently excludes everyone. 
And there's something really powerful to me in that crime fiction context because the Watson as a character archetype is so crucial to the genre. They so often are, are our lens. There are so many stories that I think would be so fleshed out by if that role in a story was more specific. Why do you think that crime fiction still leans on this kind of genericism so often when we go back to that classic character archetype? Yeah, I mean, I, I respect your interpretation. I might have a slightly different interpretation, which is that it uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson are very culturally specific, but white cultural specificity has been so normalized that we see it as generic. Yeah. And so, you know, when I, when I hear Sherlock Holmes and Watson um, and Watson being the lens that we, we, we understand the story from, I see it as part of a very Eurocentric and even more specifically English literary tradition and, and form of storytelling and form of mystery, which is terrific. Um, you know, when I study Shakespeare, I I, I think it's been very universalized uh, in Western culture and centered, you know, turned into the center of the literary canon. Uh, for me, however, I, I see it as a, a, a manifestation of a very particular time and place and a very particular human being, mm -hmm. William Shakespeare. Um, when I think of James Joyce, I, I can't separate James Joyce from Dublin, yeah. you know, the, the identity of Dublin. And I think what's been so special about this literary renaissance that's been happening in Western Sydney for the last 10 years is that we are creating this distinct literary culture that has its own vernacular, that has its own stories, that has its own specificity and is right now feeling quite exotic. But, I, but I'd like to think, you know, in a couple of hundred years, it will, it will be a, what we consider to be a normal part of Australian literary culture, an ordinary voice. Yeah, it, it will feel as Sherlock kind of feels to me in a way. Totally. And and I mean, that's the goal. I mean, you know, if, if you're effective in, in changing the way, because um, you were talking uh, a few moments earlier about the idea of like the, the, the cringiness of saying minority. Mm. I mean, how do you turn the idea of, of a minority or, or a group from the margins into just a part of what we understand to be Australian? Uh, we we do it through trying to normalize the identity of what we mean when we say Western Sydney, especially in relation to the to its linguistic and cultural diversity. I want to make one more point, which is about um, the I, the lens of Watson. You know, uh, if you read the other half of you, it's the first book where I experimented with the second person as a form. Uh, Benny Adam in my first two books is speaking generally to his to a to a reader that. Um, I would presume is whoever is reading it. When I wrote those books, I would say that whoever Banny Adam is communicating it to is literally whoever's re reading the book in that moment of time. However, with the other half of you, I mean, it's even hardwired into the title, but there's a you in there. And Banny is talking to this you the whole way through the book. And that you is his son, is my son, Khalil. His mother and I named him after the great Lebanese poet Khalil Gibran. Khalil, my son, my newborn son in the book, is really the lens that everybody who reads the book is experiencing it through. And so I do find it kind of funny because you're the first person to introduce this idea to me. But Khalil is very much the Watson of, um, <laughs> of you know, the Arab-Australian Western Sydney literary text called The Other Half of You. I love that. I love that as a statement. It's so interesting. Like, I did have another question that I wanted to ask, but you've almost, like nailed the point that I think I was trying to get at, which is like, when does Western Sydney crime fiction kind of come onto the forefront? And if you will let me give my interpretation, then I'll throw the floor to you, is that I think that like, 
as you say, there's kind of this literary tradition that's being created at the moment. And in the same way that like Edgar Allan Poe writing literary works back in the 19th century slowly led into the three murder mysteries that he initially wrote that slowly led into France, that slowly led, like, we may be on the cusp of of a new tradition bleeding out into genre fiction of Western Sydney, but we kind of have this, like, little seedling uh, that's coming up with novelists like yourself and the other panelists at the Western Sydney Mythology panel at Bad Crime Sydney, making the soil good for that kind of world of writing. Um, well, thanks for your observations. I, I mean, I'd like to make an interesting point about why crime fiction is a tricky genre for writers of colour and First Nations writers to navigate mm. in Australia. Sure. Um, the first the first one is actually not our fault. I mean, so when I say our fault, I mean, there is a huge shortage of it. Culturally diverse communities in, in Australia are generally underrepresented across fiction mm. um, when it comes to publishing, but we are especially un- underrepresented in genre writing like crime fiction. And I think it's because it's very hard for publishers to see us as having the capacity to be fictional. Most of the white gaze, the the you know the dominant middle class white lens of readers who are engaging in culturally diverse writing, First Nations writing, for example, and, and the writing of people of color, assume that everything that we're saying is just personal mm. and is just a memoir. It's just a revelation on who we are. It's very, very hard to recognize that everything we're saying has the same capacity for creativity as any white writer. And it's very hard for publishers to understand that, that we have the capacity to be interested in speculative fiction and science fiction and crime fiction that the only uh, that the form that that we are not inhibited by our identities just as much as white writers are. So that's one that's one main reason why we see a shortage of crime fiction, because um, there's a kind of lack of uh, ability to imagine us having the capacity to do it. The other reason is, and this one's for us. This is on our communities, is because we are so heavily embroiled in and like xenophobic and uh, anti-Arab, anti-Muslim, anti-black narratives about crime that we feel compelled not to perpetuate the stereotypes. So for example, in my case, writing a crime fiction about being Arab and Muslim uh, would be quite dangerous. It would be quite a frightening test to take on because I would put my, my community under the scrutiny of saying, well, is this something that we're going to read literally? That they're not going to give me the credit of assuming that I'm just a creative writer. And they're going to say, this is actually Michael Muhammad Ahmed exposing the criminal underbelly of the Western suburbs. Uh, so so we, we tread very carefully when, when it comes to how we talk about crime in our communities. And so that's why in books that I've written, like The Lebs, I do talk about crime. In fact, the book is broken up into three sections, um, drug dealers and drive-bys, gang rape and war on terror. And each section looks at the, the demonization of, of my community in, in those different categories. Um, but we we have to always do it in a nuanced way, and we always have to do it very aware of the implications on our community. And there's one last point I want to make about why the crime fiction genre is still not something that we are deeply invested in, but why obviously people should come to this panel on Thursday for the yeah. Crime Writers Festival and why they should uh, totally start checking it out because we are obviously changing the conversation. We're moving into this area now. Um, but the, But the last reason I would give for why 
there isn't a lot of it yet is also because we're making up for lost time. Yeah. You know, there is such a large body of work produced by white Australians. If you go into a bookshop and you look on a shelf for white Australian literature, not that you'd actually ever have a category like that, but if you did, that would be 90% of the bookshop. Yeah. Um, whereas culturally and linguistically diverse and First Nations writing makes up a small percentage. And so we are making up for hundreds of years of stories that have been left off the shelves. And so we are still doing a lot of this foundational writing. We're still trying to write about what it just means to grow up in an actual Arab and Muslim home in Sydney. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, I feel like probably in the in the in the in the coming years, we're going to see a lot more experimental work because we've been doing a lot of this groundwork, and, and we're really. Uh, starting, uh, you know, the reputation of some of these minority communities are really taking off. It's so interesting thinking about how that is and isn't analogous to the way that Australia as a setting has been portrayed on the world stage. This has been true for a lot of like regional crime fiction, but, you know, in the in or just regional fiction rather. But in the crime fiction world, you know, a lot of people point to Jane Harper's The Dry as like the book that made Australia legitimate as a location. Mm. And in many ways, that's the same sort of thing where the groundwork has to be laid. People have to come to, you know, understand and want and publishers have to not have such cold feet about trying something new. But at the same time, as you say, they're talking about, you know, making up for lost time. It is a, a very different problem, despite how like analogous they can feel. There, there's a very long history of oral storytelling on this land that has been erased or forgotten or um or or ignored i'm referring of course to first nation storytelling which is spiritual it's uh it can be magical it can be uh, incredibly uh experimental and playful uh, and there is a huge body of work in the genre for first nations writers in uh, the genre called spe speculative fiction i'm thinking of uh colleagues of mine like claire j coleman you know ellen van even just two for example out of 15 or 20 uh, yeah. First Nations writers who are working in speculative fiction. Um, and so if you if I look at my literary traditions, there is actually quite an interesting tradition of story about crime and how crime connects with uh, magic realism, for example, or romance that comes from the Arab world and the Muslim canon. So I think when, you know, when we're talking about making up for lost time, you know, what we're talking about is an Australian publishing industry that has been disinterested and we are trying to put pressure on the industry to get interested. And, and I, I want to say it's an exciting time for Australian readers because there is actually so much exciting and new literary content uh, that is really reflecting Australia in all of its um, diversity, probably for the first time in history. So this um, Thursday, I am doing a panel for the Bad Sydney Crime Writers Festival. It's at the State Library of New South Wales with three of my distinguished Arab-Australian peers, some of the best writers working in Australia today. Uh, Dr. Randa Abdul-Futah, who is chairing the panel and is the author of many books, uh, and her latest book is called Coming of Age in the War on Terror. And this looks at the history, the, the recent history, of not just crime, like, you know, it, like Middle Eastern crime, but actually the, the lens, the 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 culture of fear that was created around the September 11 attacks. Then I have my dear friend, Dr. Sarah Ayub, who's uh, most famously known as a, as a young adult author. She's written a book called The Cult of Romance, which has just come out. And then there is um, uh, my P, uh, Amani Haydor, who is the author of The Mother Wound. It's a, 
an incredibly powerful book. It's a memoir about the very tragic murder of her mother at the hands of her own father, who's now doing a life sentence in prison. And so the four of us are going to be sitting on this panel and talking about the myths and the realities of Middle Eastern crime in Western Sydney. And, and the reason why we, we when we were coming up with a title for the event, why we wanted to talk about the myths and the realities is because we know that there are some realities. There is a reality to what happened to Amani. There is a reality uh, to some of the issues and the themes that Rhonda explores in her book. There is reality to some of the predatory behavior that the young men that I write about in my community perpetrate. So there's realities that we want to talk about in an honest and direct way. But then there's also myths. There's stereotypes. There's uh, essentialisms. There's there's agendas that are inherently racist and Islamophobic and anti-Arab that tie into an Orientalist agenda that we want to shut down, that we want to clarify and and explore with a, with a live audience. So I think it's going to be an incredible conversation and a very overdue one for, for an event like the Crime Writers Festival, because we are four Arab and Muslim writers who have had to deal our whole lives with narratives about crime and who have been writing about it. And now is a terrific time to actually start hearing what our own community has to say about these issues. Bringing it back to the other half of you is that in many ways, even though we look at antisocial behavior in the community, I mean, especially the lens that I have on the men in my community, plus myself as a man, yeah. uh, is incredibly critical and, 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 um, and harsh. Uh, but in, in a way, I would like to think that the work is anti-crime yeah. in that, uh, you know, it's a response to books like Evil in the Suburbs. I mean, I, I very much sympathize uh, and 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 feel heartbroken as somebody who grew up in a community in a in a family where where uh, sexual crimes were committed against uh, people in my family, um, young women and young men. I, I I am very sad about those kinds of stories. Um, so, it, from one human being to another, I was I was very sad about the crimes that had been committed against those innocent victims. But it was the way that it was written that was so. Uh, shocking that you know that the the the, the characters you know the, the the gang rapists are constantly referred to as Middle Eastern. That's used as an adjective in the book throughout. It's a book written by uh, two white authors. Uh, you know they they just completely racialize and essentialize these criminals in a way that we know doesn't happen when you look at texts like Black Rock, which also deal with gang rape. So I wanted to tell a story and I wanted to write a book that was consciously responding to these kinds of narratives that um, the, this one dimensional Middle Eastern crime character. And in a way, it's part of crime writing to be writing responses to stories about Arab Australian criminals. And so we still fit into the genre. If you looked at my PhD thesis, for example, all of it is about the, the crime stories that were produced about Arab and Muslim men. Um, I, I, I talk about, for example, uh, Evil in the Suburbs by Cindy Walkner and Michael Porter. I talk about another book by Michael Duffy called Drive-By, Inside a Western Suburbs Crime Family. I talk about and I write extensively about texts like East West 101, um, Cedar Boys, uh, The Combination, Convict, uh, Underbelly, The Golden Mile. These were film and TV 
programs about Arab and Muslim men. They were the first of their kind about our community, and all of them were about either sexually predatory behavior or drug dealers and gangsters. And so I wrote a thesis, a doctoral thesis that was analyzing these texts, and then I started creating my own novels as a response to these, as an alternative. It's really powerful because one of the quotes that kind of circulated in our community uh, a couple of years ago was the idea that crime fiction is the literature of resistance um, in that it stands up to injustice in a way where it says like, here is here is a problem I see in society and here is my character going in and solving it. Here is the me expressing through my fiction what matters. And I'm really like kind of struck by the way that both in reading your writing and the journey of Bunny Adam, but also uh, hearing you talk about it, that that isn't something that is exclusive to my community of crime fiction nerds. And that's that's a really powerful idea. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky conversation to have when you're dealing with a persecuted minority because the conversation is not fiction. You know, um, uh, and what I mean by this, and it might might surprise people what I mean by this, but what I mean is when your whole life is literally constructed like a crime fiction novel, yeah, it's not treated as fiction. You know, like when we talk about crime fiction, we talk about a writer who gets to sit down and make up a story about crime, but you don't expect journalists to do that. Yeah, You don't expect politicians to do that, but that was my reality. My reality was coming home from school and putting on the television and literally seeing fictionalized nonsense stories about Arabs and Muslims as criminals. And so if that's your day-to-day reality, if you're, if you're, to- if you're being told that these fictional narratives about you, about you in relation to crime are true, then there's no real, there's no room to write fiction, you know? Yeah. And so this is where that fine line between reality and fiction becomes quite blurry for people like us. In fact, our fiction becomes reality and, and the reality becomes fiction, which is why I, I deal with the, the genre called autobiographical fiction. Muhammad, it has been such a pleasure talking with you here on Death of the Reader, and I am looking so forward to seeing you at the panel. Thank you once again, Muhammad. Thank you for having me. It's been an incredible honor. And for anyone who does miss the panel, still take the time to check out some of the amazing books that we've spoken about uh, today. And if you're kind enough, also check out some of my books. Thank you so much and salamu alaikum. We will have links up on the podcast to everything involved in today's discussion. Be sure to check it out. Get yourself a copy of The Other Half of You and maybe some of the other ventures of Banny Adam. 